That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. Well, it's a new year. Now it's time to really make your sermons good. <laughs> it is. That's it Jake's is. resolution. And, um, um, ha 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 ha. Can't get it. I don't know if they can get any better. But anyway, yeah. um, no. But and never forget, also, dear listeners, that we are still uh, knee deep in Christmas. So um, I hope you're enjoying it and uh, making uh, glad and uh, uh, making. What do you do? You you make merriment. Is that what you do? You can make some anyway. merriment. Yeah. You can so spread still some mirth. Keep that going. Keep that going. So, uh, but uh, here we are, another episode of same old song, and indeed. Our New Year's resolution is to preach better sermons, Um, uh, one filled with gospel relief and joy and not a bunch of shoulds. And um, isn't that a a should in and of itself? So anyway, but uh, our readings today are from Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 7 through 14. Then we have Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. 15 through 19a. And then our gospel reading, there's uh, in the lectionary, there's three official readings you could choose from. But uh, what uh, dear Aaron and I are going to do for all of you is parse Matthew chapter 2. So you can either pe- preach Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, or Matthew chapter 2, 13 through 15, 19 through 23. So we'll deliver you a little uh, Christmas gift, um, and uh, you can have your option of what you want to preach from there in the gospel. Stay away from Luke, though. Stay away. Well, I mean, the Luke's reading is great and all, but nice. it's just it's about 12-year-old Jesus, so it kind of, it's him <clears throat> as a teenager almost going to the temple with his parents mm-hmm. and getting lost, and it's just, it sort of takes you out of the whole Christmas narrative, because yeah. we are in the Christmas season. We're in the 12 days of Christmas. Uh, this Sunday, January 3rd, is the 10 Lords a-leaping. Uh, and so if you want to demonstrate a leap from the pulpit, you can definitely do so. Uh, but yeah, you kind of want to keep it on the uh, keep it on the Christmas season because, I, so. I mean, that's the, that is the good news. And, and, uh, and I feel like telling the time when Jesus ditched his parents in Jerusalem is somehow <laughs> not as Christmassy. So, so keep it. Keep it Christmas. Yeah. You read the Luke passage, everybody's like, I guess. So anyway, um, (laughs) uh, so uh, Jeremiah chapter 31, this is a very, very powerful and hopeful passage. You know, this is um, towards the end of the exile, and there is a lot of redemption um, imagery in this entire chapter, specifically here in 7 through 14, where it's all about singing and and uh, uh, the abundance that comes with God's redemption. And the powerful thing that's going on here is, is that God is like gathering all of these people together and all of these promises and hope is being fulfilled. And uh, kind of the image there is that when God has declared you ransom, you are so. And nothing, not even Nebuchadnezzar, can take that away from you. And so he says right here, He says, uh, I love how he says it. He says, uh, where did it go? 
Um, For the Lord has ransomed Jacob and has redeemed from his hand and and has redeemed him from hands too strong for him, a.k.a. Jacob. So this is God is the one. And when he says he's going to redeem, he most certainly will do it. Yeah. So this is uh, an Old Testament passage that has a literal meaning for the people of Israel, the people of Jacob. Uh, Maybe Jacob, you can read this literally about yourself. I don't know, but uh, this is all about, uh, yeah, uh, I sing aloud with gladness for you, Jacob. So uh, the, the thing here is it has a literal meaning about people getting restored to their home after exile, and it has, um, for agricultural people, a lot of language about being like a watered garden, talking about the flocks and the herds and the grain and the wine and the oil, all that stuff. Um, you know, modern day it would be three cars in your garage and your refrigerator is full and all the streaming content is Emmy award winning. And, uh, but you know, this, like all old Testament passages as Christians, we interpret it Christologically. So this is very much, uh, fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And as you said, Jake, the, the money verses for me is, as far as I'm concerned is, is this verse 11, the Lord has ransomed Jacob and has redeemed him from hands too strong for him because this, it presents it presents the law and the gospel. It presents the fact that we are um, that we fall short. We you don't get ransomed if you're not already captured. That's what right. are we captured by? We're captured by sin. We're captured by the law, um, and we're captured by death. And so the gospel is you are freed from that. And uh, and the the passage accurately says that these hands are too strong for you. And most Christian preaching, sadly, is about trying to. You yourself, imagine you're held by a giant in his fist. Think of Fei Ray in the hand of King Kong or something <laughs> like that. Um, and you're held by this giant, and you're trying to pry the giant's fingers off of you. And most sermons are like, try harder. You know, really, really grab that giant's index finger and really push with all your might to get out of that grip. And it's just, it's such an impossible picture. Uh, and that's why most preaching falls flat and is, is futile, whether it's kind of a left uh, wing version or a right wing version of try hard to be a better person. All of that's going to fall flat because the hands that hold us are too strong for us to, to get out of. Um, the, the hands of sin, the hands of death, all those things. So That's right. Uh, yeah. So we need yeah. somebody else to redeem us. And that's what, you know, I mean, there is the, the immediate context, and that's Israel returning from exile, and there is no king who can hold them once God has declared that they will be set free. Um, but this finds its full meaning, as you said, in Jesus Christ. And one of the things we talked about um, earlier um, in, a, in a practice recording is uh, the, um, the, the way we kind of... Uh, uh, um, embody like years um what was the word you used how do you say oh, in your country? yeah i said we anthropomorphize <laughs> yeah. it we actually do it like you see those drawings of like the old year is an yeah. old man and the new year is a little baby yeah yeah but this this year i mean who knows what's going to happen but the truth is is that your people can be filled with joy your people can be filled with peace because uh you have been redeemed from hands too strong for you as well which is death um, that is that is the thing that has every human, um, whether they are rich, whether they are poor, whatever, that is what uh, we find ourselves in the clutches of. And uh, Jesus has ransomed us from death. Um, and uh, this is 
our source of whatever 2021 throws at you. Uh, why your mourning can be turned to joy. Why you can have comfort and be given gladness in the midst of the sorrows of whatever next year throws at us. Because Jesus has ransomed us from the clutches of death. And uh, clergy who are preaching this passage, you personally want to just name it and claim it with verse 14, where you the bet. scripture says, I will give their priests their fill of fatness. Yeah. So tell everybody to get I, their pledge. work on that. Tell, tell people to get their pledge in early, you know, because the Lord has said we need our fill of fatness. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm eating so many cookies these days, I am getting my fill of fat. I know. Actually, it'll days. be dry January for me and um, <laughs> uh, no, a meal replacement plan. And uh, <laughs> so it'll be thin Protein living. Protein bars, baby. Thin Protein living. Bars. Do you remember that amazing episode where, of The Simpsons where Homer got into shape? And anyway, um, and uh, Marge like made this big pasta and he was like, and then he was like, no, thank you, Marge. I eat all my meals in bar form now. So anyway, that's, <laughs> that's how January always is for me. All of my meals will be in bar form, but I'm more in the episode of The Simpsons where Homer intentionally tries to gain weight so he can work from home oh, on disability. That's an incredible episode, and he like it's, sports the moo moo. Do you remember that? <laughs> yes. Yeah, and he goes to see Doctor Hibbert, who tells him that his idea is monstrous. He'll have no part of it. So he goes to see Doctor Nick, and Doctor Nick says, "There are many creative ways for weight gain for a dangerously underweight individual such as yourself." And if it's, you remember so the food group, if it's... You rub it on the piece of paper. If it turns clear, it's your window to weight gain. <laughs> My children currently are just basically being raised on old episodes of The Simpsons. And I mean, so, thank you, Disney+. Plus. Mm -hmm. Made it so accessible for everyone. Um, but Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6 and 15 through 19a. Once again, do not go to B. Uh, you've heard it here first. Um, but we have uh, basically St. St. Paul kind of uh, speaking of this redemption um, in a future sense and the ramifications for us in the present. Yeah, so this is Paul beginning his letter to the Ephesians. And uh, it is, you know, Paul at the beginning of letters it always wants to say nice things to the people that he's talking to to kind of open it up in a, in a way that's gracious. And, and so, but as always, he... he uses that very occasional purpose of a letter to launch into really huge theological concepts. And we have here such an affirmation uh, for people who are stressed and anxious uh, and who are not sure if God loves them. I mean, the level of um, self-doubt and insecurity and anxiety that people feel all the time about who they are um, and yet here we have Paul telling us, and the Ephesians, but us um, today, that um, God has chosen us in Christ before the foundations of the world. Yeah. He has destined us for adoption. And this is his, the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. So this is why scripture is so important, because it, it counters the lies that we tell ourselves. Mm. Uh, the lies that were <clears throat> that um, were kind of worthless, and, and we can't get it together. Mm. If, if we, we we compare ourselves all the time to other people who we think we need to be like them, every preacher wants to be like the other preacher who's more successful. Every um, person wants to be whatever they think they need to be. But here we have this word of the of 
the Bible, the inspired word of God, telling us that God chose us in Christ before the foundations of the world and that he picked you uh, and loves you. And so uh, I, I think it's just one of those passages that grounds us so, so much in who we actually are. And I think if, if, if we human beings, uh, or start with myself, you know, if I, if I could ever really actually believe this, uh, how much more restful my life would be. And so I think human life is, in many respects, just trying to, as a Christian, just kind of um, always come back to this gospel, come back yeah. again and again, and, and and allowing myself to dare to believe that it's actually true. Because it is. Yeah. Um, and that's what it, and, that's, uh, that's what it is yeah. to live in hope. You know, as the collect for this day says, you know, uh, O God who wonderfully created, yet more wonderfully restored the dignity of human nature. And uh, this is really what Paul is getting at, is that, that restoration of human nature, the dignity of, uh, and the restoration of human nature. And uh, that, as you said, it, can't, it cannot be understood by simply kind of the eyes that I see. It, it requires the eyes of faith, which is what he is getting at here when he says, with the eyes of your heart enlightened. You know, and uh, this, this enlightening comes about by the hearing of the gospel. And so, preacher, you begin to see why your job and your vocation of delivering this good news is so important, because this is what stirs people to see with the eyes of faith, the eyes of their hearts that have been softened and cleansed by the Holy Spirit, uh, so that they may know, because in the midst of the muck of life, uh, we have been called to a greater hope. You know, we have been called to a rich and glorious inheritance among the saints. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe? You know, that is the good thing. And that really, that promise enables us uh, to be present. That promise enables us not to give up in the midst of the struggles of this life. Yeah, you know, I think the the amazing thing about this passage especially as it's coming in the first sunday of the year everybody is going to be again and we've talked about this like making new year's resolutions and every year we've done same old song we've talked about how those are just human attempts to get better and are over usually by valentine's day if they last even that long and that it's a law-based works-based approach to life and it's not rooted in the gospel and but nevertheless, we all want to get better, and um, but you'll be like that lyric in the song by Bleachers. Uh, um, I, so I didn't know I was broken until I wanted to change. Because once you start trying to change yourself, you'll find yourself unable to do so and realize that something is broken. And this is what new, if there's anything good that comes out of New Year's resolutions, it's reminding you that you need someone to save you. And that's what this passage does so beautifully because it says, counter the narrative that you are terrible and need to fix yourself. It says that God chose you before the foundations of the world in Christ, and you can rest in that. And it's mm. his job to make you holy and blameless before him, which this says this is what he'll do. Um, and uh, you can't thwart the will of God. So again, it, it's just, a, it, and the, you know, Paul gets so clearly here, he, he prays that the Ephesians would have, he says, a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know the hope that, to which he's called you. So this is even for Christians. They need to have their eyes enlightened. Yep. They need to be reminded of the hope because we forget all the time. And so preach, your, preach it to yourself. Know that God has chosen you and destined you for adoption as his children. Um, uh, that's his, his good pleasure. He's happy to do that. And, uh, and preach that to your congregation as well. Mm, that's really good. 
So we come now to uh, Matthew chapter 2, our gospel reading today. And why don't we take a look at uh, verses 1 through 12 first. This is uh, basically, um, so um, you're, and the reason why it's in here like this is because um, Epiphany uh, falls, um, I think, on a Thursday this year. And so uh, the, the Feast of Wednesday. the... Uh, Wednesday. That's when our, we're, we're bringing camels to St. Albans, Waco. And on what? Wednesday, January 6th. Yeah. You got camels got coming? Of, dude, Yes. Uh, we got so many uh, four-footed animals in Texas; it's crazy. So uh, That's there's, amazing. Yeah, there's a ranch near Waco that has camels. I think they make yeah, all I their actually... money like right after, right around Christmas for live nativities. But we're like, ah, we're Episcopalians; we can do this for Epiphany. That's amazing. So um, you know, I heard that there are more tigers in captivity in Texas than there are actually uh, released in the wild. I believe it. So uh, it doesn't shock me that there are camels. Lots of things going down in Texas. What's great is when they put the camels and the tigers together and see what happens. So, but uh, here we have uh, Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And this is an epiphany reading and uh, nothing wrong with doing it uh, today. Uh, But um, basically you have these these, uh, wise men from the east, these magi coming. And, and, uh, well, what do you want to say about it, Aaron? Well, it's a story that shows uh, sort of really interesting things. Um, What the world thinks about Jesus, what the religious establishment thinks about Jesus versus what um, these wise men think about Jesus. And it it begins to set up this idea um, about who can actually see him for who he is and how that the answer to that question is actually pretty surprising. So King Herod is the king of the Jews. Uh, this is Herod the Great. He is sort of Jewish. His lineage is a bit sketchy, but he is Jewish, and he is the guy that sort you know, of, sort of. He's mostly uh, he's mostly like basically uh, Syrophoenician. Yeah, I know it's a it's a mixed bag, but he he claims to be Jewish, and he's got some sort of spurious connections, and but he is he's the king of Israel, and um, he uh, he appoints the people that are in charge of the temple and. All of that. And he at least makes a show of his own Judaism. And yet, when he hears about the Messiah coming, he wants to find out where he is so he can kill him, uh, which is what he wants to do. Um, Versus these uh, wise men who are pagans from the East. These are some sort of like Persian astrologers. Magicians. These are people that are into Dungeons and Dragons and all that sort of stuff. And so the 20-sided die, they're stopping all along the way to, to see what the dungeon master yeah. is going to do for them. So, so they, but they are the ones that get who Jesus is. So again, it's just it, it, the, being able to see who Jesus is is something that's revealed to you. Again, backing up to the Ephesians reading, Paul says, I pray that your eyes may be enlightened so you can see. It's a spiritual gift to be able to see who Jesus is. And it's not always the ones who we think should see it yeah. that actually do. And it just shows how a lot of this is out of their control. I do have to say one thing about the gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Uh-huh. You know what the third wise men said to baby Jesus after the first two had presented their gifts? I sure do, but go ahead. Wait. He said, wait, there's myrrh. Yeah, that's right. I think uh, that's, uh, that's beautiful, Aaron. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Jake. Um, I got a lot of pleasure out of that. I actually dropped that uh, joke last year in my uh, sermon, and uh, <laughs> everybody loved it. So it's a winner. But I think you're absolutely right. Um, 
So once again, this is taking place in actual history. And you have these kings coming from the east or these wise men, these magi, magician. And, you know, who knows, maybe uh, Saturn and Jupiter were in convergence like they are right now. And that's what they yeah. followed. Um, but um, it's interesting because the last time kings came from the east, last time wise men from the east came, they did not come to pay homage to Israel. They came to destroy it. And uh, that mm. is something that's very powerful being illustrated here. So you had shepherds so embodying the nation of Israel coming and paying homage to Jesus. Now you have the kings of the world coming now, not to destroy Israel, but to pay it homage because of this one. And um, and it's really interesting because, you know, they uh, the, the Magi represent a kind of general revelation. The fact that um, you can look up to the stars and the sky and you can know for certain that there is a God, uh, but you don't know who he is specifically unless you go to the scriptures. And uh, this is this is kind of the, one of the great teachings here that you could, could hit on, is you can look up and you know that there's a God and that he's powerful and that he's up to something. But uh, you only find out where he's born uh, when you go to the scriptures. And even the Magi had to go to the scriptures. King Herod had to go to the scriptures. But I think that this is, and there they find out that he's born in Bethlehem, you know. But uh, mm -hmm. I think that this is an interesting thing, too, about Herod as the embodiment of kind of the world. And the world's message is always one thing, but it's um, they're always doing something else. You know, and there are all sorts of illustrations about that you could look at today. You know, um, uh, you know, the world says one thing. So show me where that child is so that we may go and worship him. But it means something completely different. And uh, and that is what's going on with Herod is that the world um, uh, the world is not honest, uh, but um, because the world is busy seeking its survival in the powerful. But uh, God is truthful. God, um, God embodies not the reality as we hope it to be, but as it, as it actually is. And this is why he is born in Bethlehem, uh, in the land of Judah, uh, by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. But the rest of the world thinks Bethlehem's the armpit of the world. But that's exactly where God goes and meets us. Yep. And of course, there is, if you want to, you can preach that sort of uh, well-known... Uh, sermon uh, where you talk about what the gifts symbolize, uh, the fact that Matthew mentions them, it is significant. Um, the gold, obviously, symbolizing the wealth and power of a king. Uh, frankincense would have been typically used by a priest. It's something you know, it's incense that you burn, and so that you know, the gold represents kind of the kingly Christ. The frankincense represents the priestly nature of Christ. Um, and then the myrrh is that spice, that, wait, there's myrrh, is the spice that's used in wrapping somebody for burial and so foreshadows his death. Um, all these things would have been incredibly valuable and the picture of a child, and again, if you read the text closely, it's, it's not baby Jesus here, it's the child with Mary, so this is probably toddler Jesus. Mm -hmm. um, we know later from when um, uh, the King, King Herod finds out that he's been duped by the wise men, and so he goes to Bethlehem and has, in the slaughter of the innocents, every oh. male child under the age of two killed. So this, we know that this is probably about two years yeah. uh, after Jesus' birth. So toddler Jesus, two, terrible two Jesus. But still, the image is sort of crazy of these wise men. We don't know how many. We People think three because they're three gifts, but we don't know that for sure. There could have been ten wise men. Could have been two wise men. We don't know. So they kneel, 
and they so these I mean it's just in a crazy picture a child a poor child in a forgotten corner of the world and uh, kneeling before him with these incredible gifts or these kings and that um, that just shows again there's something very different about Jesus and how the world treats him uh, uh, he's not in centers of power and yet he's still going to transform the world so yeah. you can talk about what those gifts mean that's another sermon in here uh, that's good and then there's finally having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod they left for their own country by another road uh, first of all um, uh, yeah, um, you'll oftentimes hear it preached, and this is a terrible sermon, so what can you bring to the baby Jesus, or what can you bring to the two-year-old toddler Jesus, you know, and uh, oftentimes people want to talk about the best things, you know, and but the truth is, is that you want to give people the gospel here, tell them that they can bring their sin, and their perdition, and their doubts, and their failures, they can bring that as their gift to the baby Jesus, and uh, they can trust, indeed, that toddler Jesus, baby Jesus, Jesus on the cross, uh, will meet them right where they're at, and that uh, as they leave your church encouraged and refreshed by the gospel, they too, like those wise men, will go home on another road, uh, because uh, when we encounter Jesus, uh, we never go back the same way, <laughs> you know, and that is, that's the good news of the gospel right there. I give you an explosion emoji for that, Jake. Yeah. That is beautiful stuff. Uh, yeah, because so many people do want to make it about what you are going to bring the baby Jesus. Your little, you little drummer boy, you can play a little pum 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 mm. for the baby Jesus. It's like, you know, mm-hmm. he doesn't, he doesn't. I mean, it's good to praise him and give him good things. But again, this is a lot more about what he gives to us mm. than what we give to him. All right, so the, if you wanted to preach the first option listed for the lectionary for the gospel text for this Sunday, you would then continue in Matthew 2. You would forget the the whole wise men story, and you just would really begin with the wise men right after they leave to their country by another road. You then have the flight into Egypt, uh, portrayed in many um, paintings, some of my favorite, because they always show Joseph just like sacked out on the luggage, like he's so exhausted, <laughs> and Mary is, you know, she can barely keep one eye open, but she's got a nurse Jesus. And, so, then, uh, and then there's that weird yeah. imagery of St. Christopher, you remember? Um, He's like the Hagiad, like the myth around it. Like he's the guy who carried no, them. So if you've ever seen the St. Christopher, he's always the random dude with baby Jesus on his shoulder. We're toddler oh, yeah. Jesus. And um, uh, he's the one who helped them cross a river when they were going into Egypt. So that's what Christopher is Christ bearer. And so, but anyway, um, that's a side note, meaningless. Huh. So, um, but anyway, um, take it or leave it. Thanks, but Jake. I didn't know that. After they left, uh, Joseph, the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, get up and take that child and his mother and flee to Egypt. On a powerful level, what's going on here is, is as, uh, as Jeremiah propheted, there's nothing. So God, nothing is going to thwart this plan. And so uh, God, is, uh, God is speaking to Joseph in a dream, uh, but nothing will thwart this plan, not even Herod, this plan of salvation to save us all. Now, there's some amazing imagery that's happening here, which I think becomes like kind of very, uh, very gospel. So, um, but the prophets, when they said, out of Egypt, I have called my son. So that applies to, um, you know, the, 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 the antitype, the type, uh, which is Israel, and then it applies to the fulfillment, which is Jesus. And, uh, and so in, in this way, Matthew is making the point, and you'll always hear it, see him doing this, to fulfill the prophets. Uh, what Matthew is doing here is he wants you to know that uh, Jesus is the absolute, positively new everything. 
And uh, that is kind of a, that's an important thing to preach here is what you see happening here is the uh, substitute, the substitute which will eventually atone for your sins. And so Jesus in every way is living out Israel's life perfectly. Yeah, so coming out of Egypt. Um, and I, th- I love how this passage also, um, well, the way it portrays um, divine intervention, uh, great song by Matthew Sweet, uh, divine intervention along with just a relat- relatively normal human life. Mm. Um, so angels, an angel talks to Joseph three times, at least in this passage, about what to do. First, go to Egypt then go back to Israel, and then when they get back to Israel, it says, don't go to Bethlehem, go to Nazareth. Um, and uh, yet that divine intervention is all very much interplaying with human events and just kind of geopolitical forces and, uh, and all that sort of stuff. It's, it's interesting, too, that God doesn't try to stop the bad things from happening. Mm. He doesn't try to stop... Um, Herod from wanting to kill Jesus. You know, God had two options. He could have stopped Herod or he could have told Joseph, get out and go to a safe place, which is what he does. You know, God says he can have this angel do lots of different things. And he sends the angel not to tell Joseph that the fortunes have been changed. Now you can stay where you're put. No, he says things are bad, so you got to get out. It's very interesting. Just the whole thing opens up a lot of deep, deep questions about the, the action of God. But what you can say here is that God is aware of the things that are going on in life. God speaks to us about things that are going on in life. And even when things look dark and difficult and dreary, God is still working and will accomplish his purposes. And you can interpret that individualistically, yes. But I think most importantly, it means that in, uh, interpret it Christologically. So in the in the reality of sin, death, and the devil trying to destroy God's purposes in the world, God will not um, uh, give up and God will not fail and God will not lose. So it's, it is, again, it's so interesting that God's purpose right now is to preserve Christ so he can finish his mission. Mm. And it looks like God has come into the world. We just saw the angels, the, you know, on Christmas Eve, talk about good news, great joy, all this sort of stuff. A savior is born to the nations, et cetera. And what is the first thing the savior has to do after he gets his gold, frankincense and myrrh is to run away. Mm. And Uh. so it's going to take time for all this stuff to work itself out. And you see, again, the pattern of human life. Jesus has come to us, but there's time that it's going to take for him to work out all this stuff in you. As, as again, back to St. Paul in Ephesians, God will present you holy and blameless, but it's going to take time. He's going to work work through you for a while. So divine intervention, human processes, all working together to accomplish God's work in the world. And, uh, you know, and the powerful thing, too, is when he comes up out of um, Egypt— he uh, doesn't go back, like he doesn't become superhero. He goes to Nazareth mm-hmm. to once again fulfill what the prophets say. And that really ties in once again to our colic today, that grant that we may share the divine life of him who humbled himself to share our humanity. And really, uh, Jesus, is, Jesus is meeting us in every way in the, in the Nazareths of our lives. That's why he is a Nazarene, uh, so that he can meet you in the Nazareths of your lives and uh, that becomes good news because we're all going to face Nazareth moments in 2021. That's right. But in all those Nazareth moments, we do find Jesus Christ who is there 
uh, to be that savior, the one we need to ransom us and to free us from the hands that are too strong for us. So happy 2021, everybody. Happy New Year. And know that um, no matter what kind of year it is, Jesus Christ goes before us yeah. and lives in you and um, has, has got it under mm-hmm. control. And uh, with him, there's always myrrh. So. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, everyone. On that. Bye. Somebody's looking. Somebody cares. Somebody wonders what you're doing today. You know we crucified him, buried him. But three days later, well, the stone got rolled away. And yes, Thanks for listening to Same Old Song. Hope you found some gospel nuggets for the pulpit or for your life. If you like what you heard, leave a review or rating in Apple Podcasts. Dave Zoll will be sad if you don't. Thanks to TJ Hester for audio production. And remember to keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.